Hi, I'm Sam Bain. It's a special time of year. The leaves are beginning to change color outside the Appleseed Studio. The kids are all settled into their new school routine. And it's just about time to celebrate homecoming. That time when the thoughts of alumni everywhere turn back to their alma mater. The Appleseed Studio is on the campus of Brigham Young University. And in this special episode of The Appleseed, we'll bring you stories of what it means to find your way back, if only in your heart, to the home place. You'll hear a story about a high school reunion from the great Alabama storyteller Dolores Hydock, a conversation with some of the voices that bring you BYU sports. We'll even chat with some of our BYU radio family about their homecoming thoughts. But first, our producer Wendy Folsom took a microphone out on campus and found some folks full of BYU memories. I'm Ellen Dixon Slovacek. I graduated in 1977 and I absolutely loved BYU. And one of the reasons was because there was so much camaraderie. We all felt the same and it was just a a really beautiful experience to have five golden roommates who are still dear friends to this day. James Rue Nielsen, 1963. BYU graduate, and uh, to be able to attend BYU, I delivered milk in the community. (laughs) Amy Woodruff, I graduated in 1975. Um, It was a treat to go down to the Joseph Smith building for uh, movie night. It was great for my husband and I as newlyweds to be able to go to a free event (laughs) on campus. It was a treat. We look forward to the weekly movie. Gary. Crosby, graduated in 87, and the funniest thing about BYU during my student years was how many parking tickets I got. One of the funnest memories I have is with my uh, friends and roommates, we would go to the Lots of Bound sales in the mid-70s, and um, it was just a big adventure that we looked forward to every year. The bundles of pencils, there was a toilet seat cover <laughs> and there's just the oddest stuff jewelry wedding rings but it, it was fun it was fun this is jason fisher i graduated in 2008 one of my favorite things about byu is the beautiful landscape uh, walking to campus and hearing the uh, the bell tower okay my name is emily burnett and i graduated in 2005 and one of my favorite things about my byu time was working at the textbook information desk as a freshman I feel like I got to meet everybody on campus and was just living my best life. Hi, I'm Rodney Green. I graduated in 1972 and again in 1980. My favorite thing was probably that I met my wife here. (laughs) BYU may or may not be your alma mater, but it is the alma mater of the apple seed. And it was fun to hear a bunch of college memories. We hope they brought back memories for you, wherever you went to school. I'm suddenly remembering high school days. I went to American Fork High School, and for one reason or another, I've got my old school song running through my head. Dear old AF High, yes, we will love you till we die. Our banner's bright of red and white. 
light will be a beacon through the night. Dramatic arts and ball and track will always bring the honors back. We'll sing our praises to the sky. We'll always fight for AF high. <laughs> the sound of the marching band playing along as we clapped and sang. This is the time of year when the air gets pretty thick with memories and with stories. The word homecoming can mean different things to different people. But for sports fans, it's all about the big game. I remember my homecoming game in 1984 when I was playing here. We didn't feel like we could do justice to a homecoming episode of The Appleseed without talking about football season. And to help us get into the spirit of things, we invited into the studio some experts from the BYU TV show After Further Review, or AFR, to talk about some of their homecoming memories. The voice you heard a moment ago belongs to AFR analyst Blaine Fowler, who is also a former BYU player. Homecoming that year was almost disastrous. Mm. And the reason it's memorable because it it didn't end up being disastrous. 1984, the year Blaine is talking about is a hallowed year for BYU football fans. It's the year of the national championship, the only one for the school so far. But on the evening of October 13th, 1984, at the beginning of that miracle football year, the crowd in Provo, Utah, was justifiably nervous as the Wyoming Cowboys began a run that nearly ended BYU's chance at a perfect season. But I'll never forget, you know, in that in that third quarter, just saying to myself, man, we're in a dogfight now. <laughs> like, they've got some confidence, and this thing is going back and forth. And that stadium was packed to the rafters, 65,000 rooting on their number five team in the country with dreams of a national championship. Could have let it slip away, but yeah. we didn't. So now that's just a footnote that we won that homecoming game. And the rest is history. And while most celebrations of that season focus on the come-from-behind victory in the Holiday Bowl to clinch the championship, Blaine stressed that the lessons the team learned in that homecoming game shouldn't be overlooked. Any magical season where you you don't lose ever, there's a game or two when you don't play your best, the other team plays way above themselves, and you just got to figure out a way to grind one out. And that was that was the one we figured out how to grind out that year. Mm. For football fans, the phrase homecoming game may conjure up memories of crisp autumn air, perhaps even making a trip back to the cold metal bleachers of their alma mater to see their old team in action. Given the amount of nostalgia associated with homecoming, we expected that the AFR team would approach that big game, the homecoming game, in a a special way, maybe a more special way than some of the other games in the season. So we were a little surprised by this observation from host Dave McCann. Every time we go on the air is like a homecoming game for us because our job is to connect uh, fans and bring them home because it draws you back to the team you love. Each of the members of the AFR team riffed on that same theme. Their time at BYU was extremely important to them. And they recognized that when alumni watch any BYU football game, it's a lot more than just a football game. It's a way for them to connect to memories of a place they once called home. Here's Dave McCann again. We all understand the magnitude of what BYU sports can do 
to keep alumni connected to the school they attended, even if they never come back. The AFR team all recognize the lasting pull that a person's school can have because they've all felt it themselves. For Blaine Fowler, the old campus is kind of a time machine. And every time I come back on campus, it makes me feel young again because it takes me back to a time when I was young and those memories are you know right there in front of your face. For AFR analyst Dave Nixon, the pull comes from the friends he made here. I never wanted to leave. And, and I eventually went on to play in the NFL for a few years. And I found myself every single offseason coming back to Provo, Utah. Because that's where I, it felt like home for me. Even though I was from Texas and my family lived in Texas, I wanted to come back to Provo because of uh, the people that I was able to surround myself with, the life lessons I learned. Um, but I think more than anything, it just came down to the people. And for Dave McCann, the pull back to BYU has deep family roots. Every time I come to BYU or walk in the football stadium at the Marriott Center or, or come on campus, I think of my dad who worked here while we grew up and uh, passed away 25 years ago. And I see his picture in, on the Hall of Fame wall and that, that matters to me. Um, and so for me, that homecoming is, this place makes me feel closer to him. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with wins and losses and testing center experiences and all that. (laughs) It has everything to do with, well, where were you when you were creating memories? So when the Cougars take the field in the next homecoming game, whether alumni are able to travel back to Provo for the game or not, the AFR team will be there to welcome them home. That's kind of been an underlying theme for for all these years is um, when, when we turn on the mics, we represent BYU. And that feeling that everyone loves that brings them back here. Uh, and then everything's so much better when the team's undefeated. Everyone just loves their memories <laughs> so much more when the team's undefeated, or at least doing well. And so for the first year in the Big 12, we couldn't be happier to still be doing it. What a pleasure to talk with Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, and Dave Nixon about the role that BYU sports plays in keeping people all over the country connected with the school they love, the place, at least for a little while, that they called home. Lots more coming up on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you for a special homecoming episode of The Appleseed. Coming home can fill you up with emotions that run the gamut between the excitement of the big game and the kind of trepidation and nerves that might accompany, say, going to a class reunion after a long time away. Here's a story from Alabama storyteller Dolores Hydock. She went to high school in Reading, Pennsylvania, and in this story, she decides to drive more than 800 miles from Birmingham to Reading to her high school reunion. Her 20-year reunion? 30-year reunion? She doesn't say. She'll only call it a big number reunion. As we join the story, Dolores has just arrived at the bar and grill where the reunion will happen. How does she feel? Well, how would you feel? Here's Dolores Hydock, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. The gravel of the parking lot crunched under the heels of my shoes as I headed toward the front door. There was a man coming from the opposite direction toward me. 
He looked about my age. I didn't recognize him. But there were 204 kids in our graduating class, and it had been a long time. I decided to be brave. Hi, I said, with a big smile, as much confidence as I could fake. I see you found this place too, huh? Way out here in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I hope so. I own it. <laughs> Not a classmate, after all. He held the door open for me. I went inside took my eyes a minute to adjust to the dim light of the lounge. There were people standing in groups of threes and fours, looking at their copy of the yearbook, pointing and groaning. I went over to the sign-in table, found my name tag with the one-inch square black-and-white copy of my yearbook photo stapled to the corner. I pinned it on Mike D'Angelo, reunion committee chair, came over to greet me. Mike D'Angelo is gorgeous. Tall, tan, built, beautiful, big smile. Little skinny Mike D'Angelo who could hotwire anything with a motor in it from sixth grade on and now has a chain of high-end car repair shops. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Where to begin? I head over to the refreshments table. Krusty Morelli is there, loading up his paper plate with cubes of cheese and boiled shrimp. Krusty Morelli, who was defensive tackle on our terrible high school football team. He looks me up and down, squints at my name tag, says, Hey, hi, Doc. You're looking good. I never would have recognized you. <laughs> he gestures toward an empty chair next to his. Krusty Morelli inviting me to sit next to him? This is going to be an adventure. I sit down in a circle with Krusty Morelli, Pete Tortorici, Frank Lashinsky, and Carl the Crusher, Cipero, four jocks who never, ever spoke to me in high school. In high school, I was so hopelessly unathletic that even at pickup basketball games in gym class, I was always the last one picked for a team, and I'd spend most of the gym class period just sitting on the visitor's bench. But here I was, sitting with these four guys, listening to them do killer impersonations of the football coach, the vice principal, the school janitor. They tell hilarious stories from detention where they spent more time time in high school than I spent in four years of English class. I realized how much I missed back then by turning my homework in on time. <laughs> About 60 of us show up for the reunion out of 204. That's not terrible, but none of my friends are there. I mean, there's somebody from Spanish class and somebody from Glee Club, but None of the girls I ate lunch with, none of the kids I hung out with after school, none of the boys I was so in love with, neither of the two girls who were my very best friends for four years of high school. I'd really hoped to see Deidre and Carol and Dennis, especially Dennis. <laughs> but they weren't there. I don't know why. I wandered up to a little group. They were talking about the new modern high school that had been built over there near the bypass and how our old high school building closed now for years was maybe going to be renovated into a senior living retirement community. We're standing there trying to think of a good title for the new facility. Our best idea is lost our faculty's towers. <laughs> They announce we're all to go into the dining room for our sit-down dinner. I end up at a little table for three with Donna DeFazio and Jake Werner. 
Jake Warner always had a reputation as a ladies' man, and I know Jake Warner made a beeline for that table as soon as he saw that Donna DeFazio was sitting there because Jake Warner has had his eye on Donna DeFazio all night long. Though to be true, pretty much every guy in that room has had his eye on Donna DeFazio all night long. I figure Donna's just used to it by now. I mean, back in high school, on a Friday night dance, the guys would stand there, slack-jawed, when Donna walked into the gym, stiletto heels clicking on that hardwood floor, skirt short as a carpenter's apron, <laughs> cracking that juicy fruit so loud you could hear it at the visiting team's basketball goal. <laughs> When dinner is finished, two of the reunion committee members get up to a microphone at the front of the room. Is this on? Is this on? They've organized a trivia quiz. We all turn our chairs to the front. Question number one. Who was the homecoming queen? Oh, everybody remembers that. Sandy Michaels. Who could forget Sandy Michaels? Oh, she was so gorgeous. Long, swingy, blonde hair. How did she make her hair do that? I mean, back then, our hairstyling products were not texturizers and styling mousse. Back then, we had orange juice can rollers and dippity-doo. <laughs> Question number two, who was the girls' PE teacher? Everybody remembers that. We call it out in unison. Miss Propanowitz. Miss Propanowitz, who was built like a linebacker and not only felt like it was her job and responsibility to make our bodies stronger, but it was her job to strengthen our moral fiber, too. If you had gym class on the Friday afternoon when there was going to be a Friday night dance in the gym that evening, she would line us up on the bleachers and say, Ladies, this evening when you are dancing with a boy, remember to leave room for your guardian angel between you. So we do pretty well on the quiz. We remember Sandy Michaels. We remember Miss Propanowitz. We remember the Tuesday special in the cafeteria, hamburgers, mashed potatoes with gravy, and canned corn. We remember the name of the school newspaper, Hillside Echoes. We remember the name of the alternate school newspaper, the one that actually managed to put out two issues before the principal shut it down. <laughs> Voices from the Valley, a voice, not an echo. <laughs> Most of us can't remember where we left our car keys, but we remember those things. Another committee member comes up to the microphone, reads off a list of names. Classmates who died. More than you'd think. More than you'd like to think. Then there's thank yous all around, and people gather up purses and coats and spouses and head home. I don't have any place to go except back to the hotel, so I stick around. Nine of us stick around, all women, as it turns out, all gathered around this big wooden table, a long wooden bench on either side. I sit down, look around the table, and realize I don't know any of these women. I never had a class with any of them. I was never in an extracurricular activity with any of them. And it wasn't just our high school experience that was different. Our after high school experience was different, too. I left. I moved 853 miles away. These women all stayed in Reading. They all chose to build their lives and homes and families and careers in Reading. 
They were the home team. I was just a visitor, just there for one game. But they were so nice to me. You live where? Alabama? That's what, like a thousand miles away? And you came to the reunion? Man, they should have given you a prize. They made me sit right in the center of the table so that I could be part of all the conversations going on around me. Conversations about kids and parents and jobs and doctor's appointments and vacation plans. The exact same conversations I might have had with any of my friends back in Birmingham. Karen Antonelli tells the table how her husband got her a kickboxing set for her last birthday because she had told him she wanted more exercise. She says, the only exercise I ever got from that kickboxing set was hauling it up to the attic, then dragging it down to the cellar, then lugging it out to the garage, and finally slinging it into the trunk of my car so I could take it to Goodwill. (laughs) We all laugh. We all know exactly what she means. We've all been there. No matter how similar or different our life experience has been, we've all ended up at pretty much the same place. Older, tireder, Kids grown, parents gone, friends gone, eyesight definitely gone, (laughs) hair and stamina and mostly illusions gone. In other words, able to be kinder to each other and ourselves than we ever were in high school. The owner, the guy I met in the parking lot, sticks his head around the corner, last call, big hugs all around. We promise we'll stay in touch. Promise we'll all come back to the next bigger number reunion. The gravel in the parking lot crunches under the heels of my shoes as I head back to my car. I am so glad I came to this reunion. I am so glad I didn't know anybody there or I'd have wasted the whole evening talking to them. And I'd have missed this chance to go back to high school and for one glorious night, sit on the bench with the home team. That story was called Big Number Reunion, told for you by Dolores Hydock. Dolores grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, but that's a story that ought to bring to mind a memory or two wherever home might have been for you. Full of thoughts of coming home, we gathered some of our BYU radio friends in the studio to talk about places that feel like home to them and what makes them feel that way. Lisa Valentine Clark, host of the Lisa Show podcast, didn't waste a minute in telling us about the place that was home for her when she was a child, a place that's still important for her now. I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it really reminds me of Dorothy clicking her heels saying there's no place like home, because as the fight song of the University of Nebraska, Lincoln will say, there is no place like Nebraska. (laughs) And once you are from Nebraska, you are so proud of being from Nebraska. There is this sense of loyalty to the Midwest that feels like home. The Nebraska state motto, it used to be growing up, Nebraska the good life. And I think it's so funny because, you know, with the Lisa show and everything, I talk about living a good life. And it's just, it's a nod, it's a wink to to how I was raised. And I'm so proud of like, I am a Midwesterner. It, it's just that special. 
As Lisa talked about her childhood home, was there a place that came to mind for you? For Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast, feeling at home in a new place meant discovering something about the people who lived there before he did. There's something that happens to us from time to time when we discover somebody else's home as we move into it. And I'll never forget digging to get our garden ready in our new home that we had purchased. And we thought we would have great soil, and it wasn't. It was all rocky. But as we dug to change that soil down a foot into the earth, we, we uncovered little bits of, of porcelain. And then we found some bottles. And the one that was most meaningful to me, because I'm kind of agrarian as well as a romantic at heart, I, I like to plants and growth and farmy stuff, to find the tines of uh, the rusty, brittle little tines of what had once been a pitchfork mm -hmm. down in the soil meant that there had been a lot of hard living, a lot of work, something going on there before my family ever arrived. And I found that to be beautiful. I think that's beautiful, too. And not everyone feels the same way about the same stuff. Julie Rose, host of the Top of Mind podcast, for example, doesn't get attached to places, individual houses or towns. But there's something that makes her feel like home, too. Generally speaking, the most consistent sense of home that I feel is in the Mountain West. It's not a specific home or community or city. It's the moment when the plane is landing in Salt Lake City and you suddenly can see the vista of the Wasatch Mountains. That is the moment that I'm like, oh yeah, this is where I belong. A lot can change about the place you call home, but the topography, like the mountains that Julie describes, can be something like a permanent home connection. Steve Perry, host of the In Good Faith podcast, talked about a phenomenon that piqued our interest. He talked about finding feelings of home in a place he'd never been. As an adult in my 50s, going on a little vacation to the Oregon coast with my two youngest boys and my wife, and we got there, and as we were riding horses on the beach, you know, just like in a, I don't know, it's like a deodorant commercial or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> the famous there, one. I know the one. Yeah. You, you know the one. That's how I felt. And I thought, this, this is my home. Why do I not live here? Because everything we did that week felt like the right thing. Mm -hmm. And the trees were the right trees. <laughs> I mean, I love the outdoors wherever I go, but this was the right outdoors for me. I just thought, how can this feel like my actual home when I had never been here? But I return there now just to feel like that and wonder why I live someplace else. Why indeed, Steve. We were all a little curious. After all, if you found a place that feels so completely like home, why don't you live there? Well, Steve had an answer. The reason I haven't pursued it harder than I have is because really my family is home. And that's it, isn't it? Beyond thoughts of ball games, class reunions, testing center memories, even beyond childhood houses or other beloved places, your family is your home. As I hear that from Steve, I'm reminded of the little house I grew up in, in the little farming town where I lived when I was a kid. My mom sold the house more than 20 years ago, and I remember visiting my hometown with my little boy just a few years later. And on that visit, he wanted to see where I had lived as a kid. So I drove him by the house, and he said, no, we got to knock on the door. 
And that's not really how I was feeling, but we did it. And the guy who answered the door was the guy who had bought the house from my mom. And he showed us around. He was very gracious. And I learned from him that every one of my siblings, there are five of us, had at one time or another made the pilgrimage back to that house, knocked on that door, pulled by memories of home. And that visit made for a special day between my son and me. But in the years since, my siblings and I don't pine for the old house, not really. These days, we get together every Sunday on Zoom for a couple of hours. We catch up, we make plans, we tell jokes. We gathered last Sunday, and we'll gather this Sunday and the next. And that's home, those people, my family. At the beginning of this episode, you caught me singing my school song. Here, at the episode's end, I find myself remembering another song, maybe one of the first songs I ever learned. Maybe you know it too. Sing your way home at the close of the day. Sing your way home, drive the shadows away. Smile every mile, for wherever you roam, it will lighten your load, it will brighten your road, if you sing your way home. We hope this special episode of The Appleseed has filled you with thoughts of the home place, wherever that might be for you, and whoever might be there in your thoughts of that place. Where will these thoughts take you, and who will you take along? I'm Sam Payne. Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner, Wendy Folsom, and myself. Our audio engineer is Carly Wilson. Trent Horton, Evie Hendricks, Miriam Arce, and Tristan Schetzel make up the rest of the Appleseed team. A special thanks to our guests today, including the sports team of After Further Review, storyteller Dolores Haddock, and my colleagues and hosts of other BYU radio podcasts. Find Top of Mind for an in-depth look at important issues, The Lisa Show for a good look at life with a great friend, In Good Faith for conversations about faith traditions the world over, Constant Wonder for a weekly dose of awe, and Kaboom, a podcast filled with audio adventures for you and your family wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to the Appleseed subscribers who rate us or leave us reviews. It helps people find the show. We also love to receive emails at theappleseed at byu.edu. Your thoughts and comments help us to shape the future of the Appleseed. We're pleased and proud to be among the many podcasts produced by the BYU Radio family, and you can find this episode or any episode wherever podcasts are found or on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Appleseed.